Uh, and tonight we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And let's just go ahead and read this here. Philippians uh, 2, verse 12 through verse 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is God's word for us tonight. I wonder if you remember well that season. For some of you, it wasn't very many years ago, two or three years ago maybe. But I wonder if you remember well at all that season of life of learning how to drive. Uh, For most of us, I I, I think it's safe to say most of us, it's a really exciting time. Uh, All you can think about, all you daydream about is the next time you're going to get to drive. Uh, You start volunteering for weird things like, yes, I will take you to the grocery grocery store, mom. Um, After you get your license, I I don't know if you did this, but I did this. Uh, Whenever I would get bored, I just would I'd go driving. I, what else am I going to do? Um, maybe when I was with my cousin in Brookhaven, I'd cruise the boulevard. Where are my Brookhaven people at? I know. I said, there you are. Cru- we made a cruise in the boulevard joke the other day. Um, I wonder how many of you, now thinking back to that time of learning how to drive and being such an exciting time of life and getting your license, getting to drive for your own for the first time, I don't want you to think, I wonder how many of you in those initial days of driving actively recall driver's ed as you drop as you drove i would think it's safe to say not many of you did that right maybe you were of the cautious type and you did 10 and 2 but you didn't think to yourself when you got in the car driver's ed taught me 10 and 2 maybe you're even a responsible driver and you remembered that you were taught you're supposed to check your mirrors your rear view and your side view mirrors before you go anywhere But you didn't actively think, that's what I learned in driver's ed. And you just drove, right? You just jumped in the driver's seat and you drove and you thought to yourself, you could drive forever. Don't we miss those days? Am I alone? Maybe. But then there are times when things that happen, right? When you're driving. And you would need to stop and you would need to think, wait, (laughs) what am I supposed to do? Like you, in a Mississippi, that happens like whenever you come to a roundabout because nobody knows what these things are. Um, and they're like, do I turn left? Do I just go? Do I, what do I do? Uh, or maybe it's coming to a, a, a stoplight intersection and all the lights are blinking red. Does that mean I'm only supposed to go 10 miles per hour through it? No, it means you're supposed to stop. And by the way, it becomes a four-way stop when the lights are out. Please remember that. It happens on South Montgomery at least once every month or two. Or in Mississippi... Uh, there was that section in driver's ed that covered what you're supposed to do when there's any wetness anywhere. Because it doesn't matter what kind of precipitation is falling from the sky. Everybody in Mississippi just goes, what am I doing? <laughs> so you, 
in the in the in the newness and the exciting days of it, you just went with it. But there were things that would happen from time to time that would make you think, "What did I learn? What was the right thing to do here?" We spent we've spent three weeks in the beginning of Philippians chapter two, and. That passage, we looked at it from different angles. That passage is packed, I hope you agree, with beautiful truth of who Jesus is, of what He did, what He did specifically for us, how God, we looked at last week, exalted Him because of what He did and approved of His work and enthroned Him over all things. And you can't read that first part of Philippians 2 without feeling the very tangible implications uh, of, of what that truth would mean on the life of somebody who believed it. And so the same thing happens to us when we begin life anew, when we're born again, right? When we come to faith and we believe the things that we read in chapter 2. We believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. We believe out of the mystery of God's grace that He condescended to us, became a man, came to us, lived a perfect life, died, laid that life down for us, and then was raised and exalted into heaven. And we also hopefully understand that just as surely as he was as he died and was raised so too we have died to sin and have been raised to him but then things happen right we, we begin the christian life with that newness that excitement real joy real peace real love even in our hearts because we get the gospel but then we've even talked about this early on that real life happens sometimes after that real life happens and sometimes real life happens and it makes us understand that wait a minute I'm still kind of the same person in a lot of ways. Or I have very real circumstances that are pretty much the same um, as they were before. Or I have the same relationships with people that I had before. So what do I do then? How do I live then? When real life hits, when maybe the exciting newness of life in Christ wears off, how do I live in this new reality? And that's precisely where Paul turns here uh, in verse 12. So he told us Jesus emptied himself, Jesus humbled himself even unto death for us. Therefore God highly exalted him and rewarded him. And therefore, what Paul will now say now is this is then how you should live because of it. And so what he tells us here tonight is that there is joy to be had. There's joy to be found. There's joy to be lived into. Let it sink in. In obedience. And all of us just go, eh. Maybe I should have stayed, stayed home. There is joy to be lived, to be found, to be had in obedience. So let's break this down. The call to obedience, the doing of obedience, and the hope of obedience. The first one's the call to obedience. And again, let's just be honest. Obedience in the Christian life, that subject just doesn't do much for us. Uh, it, it, we kind of treat it like homework. A lot like what homework is to a college student. You know it's necessary, But you really don't want to have to think about it if you don't have to. Am I right? Some head nods, maybe? Is that homework for you? Maybe you just love your homework. I don't know. We know it's part of being a Christian, but we don't want to worry too much about it. We don't want to stress about it. You know, I brought my friend to RUF tonight, and this is not really what I wanted you to talk about kind of thing. But there's actually something here. I hope maybe you felt it. Maybe you saw it. There's something here I think that can help us change this. That all of us get to some degree... That our lives change when we become a Christian. That there's, there's life change that, in, that is involved when you follow Christ. Uh, and part of what it means for us to be different is that I live differently. You know, I'm going to start doing Christian things. Or what I think Christians are supposed to do. 
I'm going to stop doing the not-so-Christian things that maybe I used to do. As I try to live this thing called the Christian life. And a lot of us, what we can do is we can go in two different ways with this. Some of us, dare I do this for the third time already in a semester, but I'm sorry, Les Mis came to mind. Um, I thought about the opening scene of Les Mis. Especially the movie. I thought the movie did this really well. Uh, You've got all these prisoners chained and locked up doing hard manual labor. And then a song breaks out and the jailer says this to the main character, Jean Valjean, whose prisoner number is 24601. He says, now prisoner 24601, your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. To which Valjean says, yes, it means I'm free. To which Javert says, no. You're going to follow to the letter your itinerary. This badge of shame you'll show until you die. It warns you a dangerous man. I am Javert. Do not forget my name. Do not forget me. 24601. And I'll just be honest. I think a lot of us, we drift towards that view of obedience in the Christian life. That the call to obedience, the call to take up our cross daily, to deny ourselves, to follow Christ, to give our all, to be sold out, whatever term you want to put to it. It becomes to us, especially look at verse 12. If you read verse 12 by itself, maybe you did Bible drill as a kid and you just memorized 2.12. I feel bad for you if that's all you memorized. You take that verse by itself and that's exactly what this is. A badge of shame continually showing us that we still don't measure up, that we're still usually a failure, that we don't love God enough. But And so we just kind of suck it up and say, well, I, I got to keep plugging away and hope for the best and hope that the good outweighs the bad in some cosmic sense. But for others of us, there's another way you can go. I like to call it the gospel of Hakuna Matata. I'm just going deep into the well tonight um, of musicals, right? From The Lion King. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's that problem-free philosophy, Akuna Matata, right? The gospel of Akuna Matata says, look, that's what Jesus died for me for. He lived the perfect life because he knew I couldn't do it. He knew I was going to screw up. And so, man, this is awesome. This is a perfect match, me and Jesus. Jesus is perfect. I am not. What a great match. But you see, that, that's not joy either. That's just kind of head in the sand, ignoring what we're actually called to in this life. I want you to catch, take in verse 12 and verse 13. Catch the fullness of what Paul is calling us to here in these verses. Follow what he says. You, each one of you, you who call yourself Christian, you who believe in this Jesus who emptied himself, who humbled himself, who died, who was raised and was exalted, you... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says it and he means it. Do that. Okay, Paul. Just don't really know how to do that though. That seems a little intimidating. But he doesn't stop there, right? He continues. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is what I want you to see here. What our problem usually is, is that we think those two things are mutually exclusive. The way that we live our Christian life, we either think it's all up to me or it's all up to God. Just let go and let God, right? We think those things can't go together. But here Paul in two verses just puts them right together and we can't deny it. That they go hand in hand. You work out your salvation 
For it is God who works in you. And so initially, this means this initially. It means a few things for us initially if we call ourselves Christians. For those of us who have said we are those who have, like we read in verse 11 last week, we have bowed our knees and our tongues have confessed that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this immediately at least means this, a few things for us if if that's us. One, it does matter how you treat other people. If you are a Christian saved by grace, it matters how you treat other people. Because our Lord Jesus calls us to treat people in specific ways. Gentleness, self-control, kindness, generosity, mercy, forgiveness. It's a hard one, right? It means it does matter whether or not you're growing as a Christian. That matters. It matters whether you are growing as a Christian. Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time in His Word? What is prayer like for you? Is it intimidating? Does it come naturally? Does it feel comfortable? Does it not? Do you pursue His people? Do you surround yourself with His people? It means it does matter whether being a Christian is your identity or if it's just another thing on the list of your resume. And by the way, I could go to this thing called RUF or Church of Your Choosing. It means that it does matter. And again, the whole New Testament bears this out. It means it does matter what you do with your body, what you do with your body on the weekends, what you do with your body when you're with him or with her, what you do with your body when it's just you and your phone. What you do with your body, you wouldn't have applied it to this, but how you fill your calendar up with schoolwork from sunrise until well after. Paul is calling us here to work out what God has worked in. Work out what God has worked in. You work it out because God works in. And John Murray wrote a book called Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. He puts it the best when he says it like this. He says, God's working in us doesn't stop because we work. Nor does our working stop because God works. Neither is it just a cooperation as if God does his part and we do ours. No. God works in us and we also work. But the relation is, because God works, we work. You get that? The relation is, because God works, we work. That is the call to obedience in the Christian life. And that is to say, as we move on here, that the call to obedience in the Christian life is the call of the gospel. It doesn't change. It's still the gospel. And so the question here is... Do you believe that the gospel that saved you is the same gospel that is going to grow you as a Christian? Have you ever thought about it like that? Do you believe that the gospel that saved you, that made you a Christian, is the same gospel that will grow you as a Christian? What does that look like? Well, that moves us to the second thing here, the doing of obedience. Well, in verse 14, what does Paul say we, do, we should do? Uh, He says we should do all things. 
He encompasses everything. He doesn't go into a list of do this and then do this and do this. No, he says, in all things, do do it in this way. Without grumbling, without questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. And that twisted and perverse or twisted generation and crooked generation, that's he's actually quoting Deuteronomy there. It just means people who don't follow God. Can you remember stages of life? And you're still kind of going through this, but can you think back over the years how at, at every stage of life, you've always thought that there's a, another stage ahead of you, that once you got there, you will have made it. Like when you're in junior high, it's like, man, once I'm in high school, I will have made it. But then as soon as you get to high school, all you can think about is, man, once I'm a senior, that's going to be it. Then you become a senior, and all you can think about is college, right? And now you're in college, and you think to yourself, man, when I get done with college and finally get a job. And then what you'll find out is you get a job, and there's no graduation date for that one. You either get fired or you die. Um, (laughs) But we go through life, and we have these benchmarks, right? One benchmark after another. But they actually become like getting to the peak of a mountain and we get to the peak of the mountain only to see that there's an entire mountain range of forests and we can't even see the end of it. And I, I think that's a fair analogy because I think for so many of us, that is the way that we think about or even experience the Christian life. We became Christians and we started thinking to ourselves, if I can just get to this, if I can just be this, if I can just get over this hurdle, Only to find out as soon as we got over that one, there was another one staring us in the face. Because we know that being a Christian calls us to change, but we get, um, there's something flying around me, I think. But we get stuck with the question, but can I change? Am I changing? Is there any use in thinking or hoping for it? Am I supposed to do more? Am I supposed to let go more? Which is it? Well, again, let me repeat. The call to obedience in the Christian life is a call of the gospel on your life. The gospel makes this call in your life. So then you could say that living the Christian life, and I know it sounds Christian-y, but follow me, is living the gospel. Living the Christian life, it could be said, is living the gospel. Now, what do I mean? Well, to understand that, I think it helps to understand a trap that we fall into. And to understand a trap that we usually fall into, I have a fun identification question. It's a, I, I think I recently, I came up with this over the summer in something I did for Summer RUF. And I don't think I've ever done it in a large group, but I'm going to go with it again. The identification question goes like this. Are you more like Spider-Man or Batman? Think about the question. Some of y'all don't care about superheroes. It's fine. Uh, Get with the times, please. Um, But think about Batman. Batman, Bruce Wayne, the guy behind Batman, spoiler alert, he's just a normal guy with grit, determination, a cool backstory, and he's just uber wealthy, so he's got these infinite resources at his disposal. But because he's a man of grit and determination, he goes about using those infinite resources to the best of his ability. And he goes out and he frights crime and he wears a cool black suit and horns or whatever and a cape. Spider-Man, though, Spider-Man was just a normal teenager with normal insecurities, living a normal life. And he just happened to get bitten by a radioactive spider. And that, for some reason, made him special. And so he learns with these special powers that with great power comes great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. But it all just kind of happened to him. And so he just goes with the flow. 
And I like that question and the more you think about it because all of us tend towards one or the other. Some of you have personalities, you're more like Batman. You go about life, you've especially come to college and gone about college thinking, look at all these resources that I have in front of me. I'm going to use as many of them as I can to the best of my ability to better myself and maybe even better people around me. Some of you are just like Spider-Man. You just swung into college and you maybe hit a wall, but you're just going to keep swinging until you land in the right place. By the way, I'm Spider-Man. Um, and you can kind of see how this carries over into spirituality, can't you? How it carries over into the Christian life. The Batmans of the spiritual life, they see what God has done for them. They see what God has provided. And they determine, I'm going to use what God has given me to the best of my God-given ability. To honor Him and obey Him and love Him with my life. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Others of us <clears throat> are like Spider-Man. We just feel it. <laughs> we just feel, you know, God loves me and God takes care of me. And I'm just okay with that. And I'll just figure it out when I get there. Again, I'm Spider-Man. So there's this trap, though, for both of them. That's why I make this analogy. There's a trap for both of them. There's a trap for both of them in the peaks and the valleys of the Christian life, of real life. On one side, there's the trap of saying when things get hard or when things get boring or when things maybe don't seem like they're going the way I think they're supposed to or the way I think the Bible says they're supposed to be going, I say to myself, man, I just need to believe more. I just need to look at God and see who He is and what He's done. I need to understand grace. I need to look at this marvelous grace, how God loves me as I am and not as I should be. I need to believe that coming to God is of grace and that He also promises me that following Him is by His grace. I just need to believe that more. And we cite things like when Jesus Himself said, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And to that, I do seriously say... Amen. Right? Most of you, I think, would agree. But then there's another side at different times in our lives, maybe different circumstances. We say, well, you know what? I need to obey more. Because I know the things I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not doing them. I know the things that I'm not supposed to do and I keep doing them. By the way, Paul said this exact same thing in Romans chapter 7 about himself. I know that grace covers me, but grace is also supposed to change me. And I must be fighting that. So I need to read my Bible more. I need to surround myself with more Christians. I need to stop partying. I need to stop sleeping with that person. And I remember verses like, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. Or I remember Jesus himself saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Or I hear Jesus say, not all who call me Lord enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. Jesus said that. And to that I say, seriously, amen. And so you see where we're stuck now, right? Which is it? And so maybe the, our impulse is to say, well, maybe it's both. I need to believe more and do I need to obey more. But I hope you're seeing the problem with that. Where's the focus? It's on you. And that is not the gospel-fueled Christian life. Because the gospel is not dependent on you. 
It's dependent on everything Paul said that we looked at the last couple of weeks. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what God did in response to it. That's the gospel. And so the call to obedience in the Christian life is a call of the gospel. So living the Christian life is living out of the gospel. Which means I live in light of a twofold reality. That I am in Christ. Remember we read last week how God has highly exalted Jesus and put everything that exists underneath him. But I also took you to to Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says that when God raised Jesus from the dead and then throned him, he also seated us with him in heavenly places. Not will seat us, did seat us. I am in Christ. As sure as he lived, died, and was raised and exalted, so too I am dead to sin, raised to life, and seated in heavenly places. My life is hid with Christ on high. I'm in Christ, but it's a twofold reality. Christ is also in me. Isn't that what Paul just said in verses 12 and 13? Why do I do? Why do I work? Why do I obey? Because God, Jesus himself, is within me, both to will and to work to his good pleasure, because he has sent his spirit into my heart. I can say with confidence, with assurance, that I am a new creation, not working to be. I am one. I have a new heart, not I hope to get one one day. I have one. I have a new mind. I actually can say that I have a new self because Christ is in me. And I live in light of this twofold reality that I am in Christ and that Christ is in me. And so this is what it is. This is where we usually struggle along the way of the Christian life. That we cannot, that we can't separate the work of Jesus for me from the reality of his presence and his work in me. They're not two different things. The gospel says they are both true. If I am in Christ and if he is in me. The work of Jesus for me cannot be separated from the work of Jesus in me. Any more than grace and obedience can be separated in the person of Jesus. They're both there. He was full of grace and truth. When I begin to see the Christian life through that lens, I begin to see that my obedience, my doing which we are called to do. He doesn't pull any punches. We are called to do. But when we see the Christian life through that lens, I see that my doing is not some formal mechanical set of boxes to check. It's not a to-do list that I need to make sure I make my way through. No, it's personal. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus for me and Jesus in me. And my life, as it seeks to live into that reality, Paul says it becomes a light to the world around me. Not because I become a better person, because guess what? I know a whole lot of people that are better persons than me. Some Christian and some not. But I become a light as Jesus makes him more, makes me more like himself. The gospel says it's true of of me because it's true of Jesus. 
So the call to obedience, the doing of obedience, and finally we end with the hope of obedience. And I just take you to what Paul jumps to. Maybe it seemed odd to you, I don't know. But then all of a sudden he starts talking about the day of Christ. As he talks, as he thinks, and he urges the believers at Philippi to live into this grace, he urges them, or he begins to think about the day of Christ. One thing he says about that day in Romans chapter 2, he says that on that day, God's righteous judgment will be revealed and he will render to each one according to his works. Okay? So he's thinking about that day, and here in Philippians 2 he says, I think of that day, and I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all, and you should be glad and rejoice with me. How in the world does that happen? Paul looks forward to the day of Christ as a day to think about and rejoice. Because the hope of obedience is not about what you're going to do to get there. Because the hope of obedience in the Christian life is not about what you will do to get there. It's about who we are becoming and who on that day we will fully be. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1.27. He says, The riches of the glory of this ministry, hidden for ages and for generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To drive this home, he uses the language of sacrifice, which... I don't know what that does for you, but it's very fitting. In Romans 12, he urges us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Jesus himself said that those who would come after him would take up their cross daily and deny themselves. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a martyr, German martyr in World War II, uh, he said this of Jesus' call to follow him. He said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer backed that up with his own life. And we see another verse again in Romans 8 where Paul says it like this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Meaning if you live according to what you can do and only what you can do, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so we see this refrain throughout the New Testament. That there is a life, a way of life that leads to death. But in some grand, mysterious way, there is a death that leads to life. That is the hope of obedience. It's that hope that I am not my own, for I was bought with a price. One of my favorite pictures of this, and I really wish I could not quote Chronicles of Narnia all the time. But this is a great picture in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, Lucy and Edmund's cousin Eustace, this bratty, spoiled, rotten kid, comes with them into Narnia. And all he does is complain and whine. Um, And they end up on this island, and Eustace finds this huge pile of treasure. But then he falls asleep. He falls asleep dreaming of what his world would be like now that he was rich. But when he wakes up, he looks down and realizes he's turned into a dragon. And he doesn't really know what to do about it. 
And we read that sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts, in his heart he had become a dragon himself. Well, in a short time, he grows very tired of being a dragon. He tries to go tell all the people that he's with that he's a dragon, but he's a dragon. And so they're scared of him. Uh, They even want to try to kill him. So then he goes back and he's trying to rip this dragon skin off him, just hoping that he can rip it off and shed himself of it. And the more he rips, the more and more it doesn't work. But then all of a sudden he meets this mysterious lion. And the lion says this to him. You're going to have to let me undress you. And listen to how he puts it when he recounts the story later. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. I turned into a boy again. Again, Jesus himself said that following him, if you wanted to understand what it was like, it'd be like taking up a cross daily. To take up a cross was a one-way trip to your death. That's it. And that's what Jesus called us to in obedience every day. And so we think about that, and it's a fair question to ask. How in the world... Would one find joy in that? Is there anyone who could ever find joy in obedience? Well, let me just leave you with the author of Hebrews in the first couple of verses of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's a great verse, and I ask you this question. What was the joy It was you. Again, it wasn't a formal, mechanical set of boxes to check. It was you. Joy in obedience, holiness and love joined together in Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would feel your good pleasure as you are at work in us. And that because of your work in us, we would be so bold to work it out, to follow you, to deny ourselves, to love you in what we do 
with our lives and the choices that we make. We fail and we ask your forgiveness, but we praise you and thank you that your grace is more than enough. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.